Bernie in Palo Alto. This is Bill Breck in Sunnyvale. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Nicole. How are you guys? Doing good. Uh, hello. Hey, it's Michael. It's Michael. Hey, Michael. Hi, Bernie. How are you, man? Doing good. Nicole and Bill are here already. Awesome. Hello. Hello. Uh, How's everyone? Good. Aaron was going to join us. Um, I sent him an invite. He was supposed to call him. I do not know if that happened, but I think we should go ahead and get started. So, first of all, thank you all for taking the time to do this. Thank you to Michael and Nicole for really kicking this off and raising this question, and Bill for, for jumping in. Bill mentioned he doesn't normally get involved in these kinds of discussions, but he has faith in the body of Christ, so we're going to um, trust that God's going to do something awesome. So let me start by prayer. God, God, I just thank you that you are the Lord of everything. Lord, you are bigger than our problems, than our brokenness, than our country, than our uh, races or whatever groups we assign people to. And I thank you that you are the relentless redeemer, that you have a good purpose you want to accomplish through our failures and our mistakes uh, as we submit them to you. And Lord, I pray that we would demonstrate how the body of Christ uh, grapples with and overcomes uh, this kind of brokenness, and that you would minister to our own brokenness and our own woundedness during this time, and that we'd really see your spirit present and your healing uh, begin here. I pray that you would guide our words and guide our ears, that we would really listen with our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So just to recap for the podcast listeners, is this started with the discussion of what happened in Charlottesville and talking about some of the divisions and rebellion and the brokenness that was there and wanting to bring a, uh, I guess, discuss what are the spiritual principalities behind it, how we can overcome them, and generally fix what's broken. And so the basic questions are, what is broken, and what is it going to take to fix it? And the format we're using is a collaborative design process where we share our different perspectives on those and then dialogue with each other to make sure everyone feels heard and that we are uncovering the best possible ways to think and act in this situation. Does that sound pretty much uh, what everyone signed up for? I think yeah. so, yeah. Okay, uh, Nicole, you kicked us off. You wanna start? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've already started on sleep, just just a discussion on what what can we do? What are we willing to do individually and collectively to move towards reconciliation? And the, and the whole jumping off point was my talk on the part that the church played, some areas led in the divisiveness around, along race and gender, but that's a whole other discussion, um, that it's in the foundational roots of this nation that keeps bearing all of this lovely fruit we're enjoying, uh, like Charlottesville. Um, it's my passion to get the church to recognize it, own it, 
repent of it, and then begin moving towards restoration so that we could live out the tenet of one body, one faith, one God that we're expected to, to live out. So that's where I'm coming from. And my study, as I shared, was unique, just how division in, in America is just unique to any other expression of Christianity on the planet. So we've got something unusual here, the level of, of divisiveness within the body already. Interesting. Uh, did someone just join? Was that Aaron? Yeah, this is Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Hey, yeah, we were just kind of doing a quick recap, and uh, Nicole was just starting off. So, um, I know you've thought this through quite a bit, and uh, we want to make this self-contained for people who haven't followed us on FLAP or haven't seen your talk. Um, do, do you want to start with, you had kind of a list of what you saw as some of the, the key spiritual or historic strongholds yeah, yeah, yeah. that were manifested, and kind of give us your list and, and what you see that as? Yeah, well, I guess the two main ones that uh, I wrote about in, in sleep was uh, disobedience and rebellion in the sense that the gospel message was um, purposefully withheld from Native Americans and African Americans to advance the economic agendas of um, the founding um, colonists um, in America, which right there, you, you, you said no to the Great Commission. Um, and the Great Commandment. Um, and that wound up manifesting in this whole ecosystem where there just there is a need for slavery to actually ensure the nation would survive its first um, half century or so. Um, well, actually, it's about a century. Um, yeah. That, again, we just sort of, the church began to, to create doctrine and then participate in legislation that enslaved whole people groups, and even when that end ended, which was reluctantly, um, and my talk only took us to the Civil War because of time, frankly, but um, it continued to manifest in Jim Crowism and segregationism and the fact that even today, 11 a.m. Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America still. And so that being very unsatisfying to me as a believer in Christ Jesus, began this whole discussion of how do we, um, how do we as the church show a different uh, possibility and a different uh, ability to love one another and be unified across racial and, you know, gender lines to a nation that desperately needs to see that kind of witness. And part of that is dealing with the past openly because we don't, we kind of ignore it or we put it, push it underneath the rug or we're just completely ignorant of it, which was my talk that as I started to dig through what in the world is happening here um, and I started to find out the things that I believed in, participated in because I thought it was tradition when it was actually, the roots were evil. Just my own denomination was, uh, was one that decided to split off the main one for racial reasons. They were not being well respected, but it didn't help us move towards unity to just split off and start your own thing. And then um, some of the, the viewpoints then held uh, because of the experience in America just prevented me from actually living out the full um, calling of both the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, because even the gospel within the Black church, at least the Baptist church, 
was um, narrowly viewed as surviving this life and waiting for everything in the next and making it no room to actually consider doing work towards the great commandment and learning how to love our neighbors um, as ourselves the way, you know, um, we are expected to do by who we say we belong to. So that started my whole kind of track down this. And I know that, that, that as far as living under the paradigm of a, of a broken system of principalities, really, honestly, no, if you're in the American church, you are living under these paradigms. You are living them out, and you're not even aware of it. And my talk was just kind of trying to spark people's conscience around when you understand the history, what are you doing today in church and life that's coming from that evil and not coming from the place of, 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 of not coming from the kingdom, not coming from heaven. Right. Um, okay. Thank you. I think that's a great starting point. You've obviously thought these things through a lot and there's a lot there to unpack. I want to make sure we, uh, yeah. uh, bring in some other perspectives here, which may complement or, or there may be some sharp edges we can work through together. Uh, so Michael, you are the second person to weigh in on FLEEP. Uh, can you share a few thoughts on how you view the situation and the issues? Yeah, so I really appreciated Nicole's talk. Um, you know, she said something just a few minutes ago that I think is key, right? That there do seem to be at least two major issues right now. One is an ignorance around the history, you know, a very intentional history. Um, and then secondly, you know, from that, uh, having kind of open, honest dialogue that's not done in an accusatory way, that's not, you know, that's done in a way that you hope would move towards reconciliation that you hope would move towards healing. And then kind of thirdly, you know, some actionable items that can be done. And, you know, what, what I saw in the wake of Charlottesville was almost, uh, you know, there's one thing to come together and to rally together and to speak against things together. And I so appreciate that. Um, I, I've been about that my whole life. You know, I, one of the most impressionable things, one, one thing I will never forget, you know, at, I remember being on a playground about 11 years old. I grew up in this very rural town in Alabama. And uh, we were, there were maybe 700, 800 people who lived in my, little, in my little town. And all the black people lived on one side. All the white people lived on the other side. But we all went to the same school. And I remember mm -hmm. being at school one day. I remember being at school one day and, uh, you know, just kind of playing in the normal hustle and bustle of, of playtime, recess time. Uh, a white boy who I considered to be, you know, a peer, a friend to some degree, looked at me in a very evil way and called me a nigger. And, and, and it, it, was, it was said in such a way to cause sting. It was said in such a way to cause hurt. And, and I couldn't understand that because his dad was an alcoholic. His mom worked at the same place where my mom worked. 
we were all poor. Uh, we were all struggling to get by. We were all living for the weekend. It, we were all waiting for a football season to come around. Alabama football is the thing that unites people more than anything else, probably. You know, we, we all got – what I'm trying to say is there was much more that we had in common than we didn't have in common. And, and, and I, it angered me, but it also, it also had me thinking, man, why would he say this? Like, like does he not know that, that we both, that our parents are both trying to get us a better life, you know? And so I, I, I've spent most of my life trying to bring people on all sides to the center. And, you know, what I saw post-Charlotteville, what, 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 were people coming to the center to say, this is not right? And I so appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you have blacks and whites and gays and straights. Like, I appreciate the fact that so many different people came to, to say this is not right. But what frustrated me and, 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 and what, 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 what continues to frustrate me is this kind of beyond the beyond the march, right? Beyond the beyond the, the 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 kind of we shall overcome march down to city hall or whatever. Like there seems to be an inability or an unwillingness to have the conversation as to why we keep getting back to this place. Like why do we keep finding ourselves in these situations where? Uh, you know, race is a pivotal uh, 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 factor, and, and, and that that's frustrating to me. That's frustrating to me that that we cannot. And I understand why. You know, people their feelings involved and so forth. But I, honestly, y'all, I'm I'm just like I'm tired of us not being able to have these conversations. I'm tired of someone like Nicole not being able to come in and present facts, and then us own that. Us own it. Yeah. And us decide to do something with it, you know. And, and here in the South right now, I'm I'm in Tennessee. You know, there there's so many people who, uh, particularly for my white brothers and sisters, you know, there's so many people who were kind of coming with this narrative of, well, I didn't own slaves, you know. Uh, uh so 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 I I shouldn't I shouldn't have to have any uh thing a part of this, you know. It wasn't my fault, you know. And and, and that kind of deflection, and I understand that, and I said, hey. Uh, my parents weren't slaves, but we still suffer a system of oppression that be began with slavery, you know. So yeah. if, if me and my family have to deal with the negative part of it, then you and your family should also own up to some of this, you know. And, and again, I don't I don't want to I don't want to come off as like, you know, an accusatory pointing type of way. My question is, and, and what I hope and I know this this thing is kind of nuanced because you know, you're all out on the West Coast, and I'm in the South, and a couple other people on the on the, on the East Coast, and it's all looks different depending on probably where you are. But I do hope we can get to a place where the conversation can happen. Well, I mean, where we can at least be presented with facts. You know, I, and I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Nicole's talk. It was just facts. It was like this stuff happened, and for us to look at that and, and embrace it and own it, and then say, okay, man, what do we do? It, what just as we were methodical. In, in, in constructing this, just as we were methodical in, 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 in ensuring that certain people didn't have certain things, we've now got to be just as methodical to undo yeah. the, the way that we, where, where, where we now find ourselves. 
because we keep hearing the argument that this has been in the past or it's the past. It's not because it's still bearing fruit. It's still sh- and so if we don't get things at the root, if we don't learn how to deal with this from a spiritual perspective, the principalities involved that we are all laboring under until we figure out how to overcome it, then it's just going to continue to produce the same fruit. We'll never be free of it. It's an iniquity. Yes, yeah. May. All right. Thank you. Bill, do you feel up to sharing your perspective? I'll, I'll talk for a minute or so. Um, yeah, I, I, I learned an awful lot from Nicole's talk and our lunchtime discussions. And the, the, just the points that I would, would uh, highlight is there is an economic component to this. Um, and, and Dr. King, of course, had a lot to say about that. And uh, obviously, the election of last November seems to have some some uh, effect on this, right? It probably was not something Obama would have. Oh, so so there's there's and the bigger problem is why were these people comfortable enough to do this, right? And so they did it without masks, and so there's something in society that allowed this to happen in in 2017 to do it in a, a pretty bold and open fashion, and we haven't we haven't seen something like this. It's usually been been under 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 masks, and you know, so it seems like there was sort of this this more brazen um, expression, which points to something in society gave them that that feeling that they they can go this far. So the trend doesn't look doesn't look too good. But yeah, I I, I think um, it is worth looking at the things that Nicole mentioned. There there are things we're not aware of, and I think that's useful to look at those. And then certainly um, where it makes sense to to take action and correct those. And I, I'd also say there's there's not any misunderstandings about um, the past, but I, you know, I've been in a wide range of churches, um, wide different cultures. I've been in many non-white churches, and I'd say there's also just a misunderstanding of the gospel. There's a misunderstanding of the Great Commission. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and you know, I'm sure all the <laughs> the powerful white uh, priests understood, yeah, there's these words there, but how they interpret it, you know, that, that's that's where the the word stuff happens. So I, I'd like I like to think of the power of the gospel, the power of the word is 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 going to be effective here. And Jesus, of course, did come and he did have the sword to divide truth from from facts. So I think I'm I'm hopeful, very hopeful that that can continue. All right. Aaron, I know you just wanted to lurk, but can you say a few words about where you're coming from and uh, what what's speaking to your heart? Yeah, um, totally. Um, this has been a really interesting few weeks. Um, just for me, because I've been I've been internalizing a lot of it and just processing because I don't want to. When I say something, I want it to be. I want it to mean something, so, like, and I'm on social media a lot, too, so, like, there's part of me that's, like, you can't stay silent, but then I'm, like, but I don't want to add to the noise, either, and I don't want to get into Facebook arguments. That's not what, you know, speaking, that's not what speaking for justice means. It doesn't mean going to Facebook arguments, but um, just when I think about 
um, when I'm thinking about unity in the church and I'm thinking about um, the harm of like like what we saw in Charlottesville with white supremacy um, and like how bold they feel. Something um, that I've been kind of mulling over in my brain is the accepted, like there's a socially acceptable form of white supremacy that isn't that isn't acknowledged and isn't viewed like they don't call it that because because if you if you're not you know everyone probably 99% of people can agree that if you're calling for someone in a different race to die then that's bad right but i know i know growing up there's a cultural form where you can grow up and think to yourself like a, like a, just something I've observed from from uh, you know uh, just I guess you could say white Christians in general is they view they view uh, people of color on the same playing field as being children of God, but they view themselves as superior culturally. So they'll so. So they won't they won't listen to understand when conversations happen because they view themselves as having the upper hand already. If that makes sense. So like when you think of when you think you of just even just cultural, <laughs> yeah. Well, like you know, cultural differences in the way we do church. A lot of times it's made fun of on TV, like the traditional black church versus traditional church or what a multicultural church would look like. And a lot of white Christians will view their way of doing church as better, not different, but better, right? Mm-hmm. And um, or their way of doing life as, you know, because they see, they see stereotypes on TV, they, you know, and stereotypes of, uh, of just the condition of the, African American community in inner cities with gangs and all that, they view their way of life as superior and they put themselves on a pedestal. So even though you hook them up to a lie detector test, they will say they're not racist and they won't be lying on, the, you know, like they're, they're fully convinced, you know, on that level. But at the end of the day, they view themselves as superior, you know, so um, when I'm thinking about the church and, you know, the quote we keep coming back to of, you know, it's still the most segregated time of, you know, in ch- like church being the most segregated time of the week, it breaks my heart. And I'm like, and I think we can all realize that that's an issue, but don't really have any solutions there. You know, I'm good at, I'm good at determining when something's a problem, but finding a viable solution, that's that's kind of a harder thing to do, right? So that's just what I've been mulling over and what I've been thinking of. So. All right. Thank you, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm going to dive in here, um, and I do this with some trepidation because I am neither black nor white. I am uh, Asian, uh, South Asian, Indian. Uh, I grew up in America, and... I feel extremely privileged in many senses of the word because of that, in that um, I grew up, you know, upper middle class in a white town 
where, you know, small town, but the chief of police and the city engineer were both Indians, as was my father, who was a respected surgeon, and his closest competitor was a Filipino doctor. And so it was very multicultural. There were lots of positive models. I got the very occasional racial slur, but they were more confusing and amusing than hurtful. Um, and, you know, so I don't have, you know, most of the experiences that even many Indians do in other parts of the country, uh, especially here where we're practically a majority. Um, you know, but on the other hand, um, uh, I get most of the privileges of being white with none of the baggage of being white. So I actually feel a certain amount of sympathy uh, for my white friends who are dealing with some of these questions because there is this question of what is their guilt and the question is what is my guilt. Um, it, it's at least more subtle. And so the, I think my perspective is that, you know, there's some very real issues here. And, but my personal perspective is that the ways we have been talking and thinking about this for the last couple of decades don't seem to be working. And I think there's no frustrations they are not working. And I just lay my cards on the table. I call myself a radical centrist and always try to figure out where is there some, is there, a, is there a new angle for looking at the problem that the traditional answers of the right and the left uh, don't work? And for me, the starting point that I always come to on this question is the way I came to Jesus, the way I came to Christianity, is when I was a teenager going through junior high, I was self-aware when I went through junior high, which is a horrible thing to be, if any of you remember junior <laughs> high. Uh, and I just realized just how utterly insane everyone was, including myself. And I was literally <laughs> suicidal. Because I realized that everything that people were chasing was A, um, unlikely to succeed, B, if it was yeah. succeeded, it would not make them happy. And it's like, yeah. why are we putting all the yeah. things that are just utterly self-destructive and counterproductive? And I realized what I really wanted was to be loved. But I realized even if I was loved that way, it wouldn't work because I was messed up. I could not, I was not, not only could I not love someone else that way, I couldn't even receive love the right way. Hmm. And that was when I hit Christ. And, like, I grew up in the church and prayed the prayer and Southern Baptist Youth Camp uh, and everything. And it's like, okay, God. None of this makes sense. I hear you can do something about it. You better do something, because I got nothing else. And it was mm -hmm. interesting. I was depressed all the way through my teens and my 20s. And God, But the thing that really, you know, I got from that is, like, I am a sinner. And as I've grown through it and I work through issues with my parents, um, I consider myself a child of Western civilization. I've gone to the best schools, gone to some of the best churches, studied the best theology. And I kind of realized in my mid-30s, like, yeah, this isn't working. Like, all the promises that were made to me, like, do your quiet times, you know, get yeah. a job, you know, all these, yeah. go to school, you know, all these stuff, like, okay, mm -hmm. something's seriously wrong here. And, you know, I kind of wonder, like, you know, the problem is, is that we're really sinners. And, like, we all say this, but when it points us out to people, they get really offended. It's like, isn't that what we signed up for? Like, we are sinners. We are broken. We are messed up. We need the yeah. grace of God in every area of our lives. And, like, you know, it's like if we could just get that one fact through our heads, I feel like we could have a serious conversation. But yeah. that we get hung up. And, and, and the, the thing that I think really, 
so Michael said that really struck me, it's something I'm thinking a lot about, is that um, it's the adjacent alien that we most despise. You know, that your friend doesn't really bother hating, you know, the rich white folk in Wall Street that are making him poor. It's the person who's a little bit different, and he can find some excuse to think worse of that he uh, seizes the alien and feels this urge to compare himself to. Like someone pointed out, the Germans hated the German Jews but had no problem with the impure Japanese, who are far less Aryan than the Jews. But there's something weird yeah. in human psychology that just drives us to this. And here's where I'm going to get myself into trouble, okay? <laughs> Is that I have grown to um, uh, despise the term racist just because what I have observed, and this is in, you know, white upper class, you know, peninsula thinking, whatever, it basically shuts out all possibility of conversation or thought or debate. And it covers, yep. like, the, the, the Klansman who terrorizes the blacks, who believes blacks as a race are totally inferior. It covers my somewhat bigoted friend who doesn't think that blacks are racially inferior but really despises certain aspects of black culture, rightly or wrongly, um, to people who, you know, don't hold any of those beliefs but have subconscious biases because of media or personal experiences. And it's like, okay, all those are problematic in different ways, but when we just call it all racist, it, 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 and because at least around here, racist is an epithet. I'm trying to think, the yeah. only thing that really comes close to racist as an epithet is pedophile. And I have friends yeah. who are pedophiles too, for instance, right? And it's like, is it, it shuts down thought. And what's worse for me, you know, uh, for me, the point I really got woke, uh, if, if that's the right term, was mm -hmm. the Rodney King riot in Los Angeles. I was in Pasadena at the time. I was defending, I was doing my oral defense of my thesis. Uh, and, like, you could see the smoke from L.A. hanging over the horizon. And a lot of people were upset. A lot of people are offended. Um, but I remember thinking, and I had friends who would say, like, you know, how could these people do that? I just don't understand them. What's wrong with them that they're burning their own city, right? And I looked at it and said, wait, if I'm really a sinner and I'm no better than anyone else and they're doing this and I don't understand it, what's wrong with me if I can't understand why they would do that? Um, and going to conservative church, you can you know, say anything can get you in trouble. It has gotten me in trouble, <laughs> you know. Um, but... This week, you know, this last month, I kind of felt a little bit the opposite. Like, I look at these, these people going in and doing this United the Right rally uh, and standing up for things, and there's a spectrum of white supremacy, as you notice, you know, all of which is problematic in different ways. But I find myself asking, you know, can I understand what's wrong with them? Uh, and what is it? Because I know people all, all along the spectrum, you know, people who voted for Trump, people who have uh, – various degrees of prejudice and bias against different groups, not necessarily blacks. You know, a lot of it is, you know, uh, despising the liberal white media, right, mm -hmm. which, you know, overlaps in some ways. Um, there's people who just despise millennials and young people, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and there's all these different things tangled up in there. And yet it feels like it's sort of a piece. And for me, I think the real uh, core issue, and I'll just close with this because I'm rambling, I know, is this, the, the verse I tweeted 
or on sleep, I guess that's a, uh, from Mike uh, or um, Malachi. I slept. Yeah. I, I, I sleeped. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that as as I've been working this journey, and you know, as I've been coming to grips with, you know, I look at this and say, like, I am messed up, and a lot of that is not my fault, right? My parents mm-hmm. had issues, my church had issues, my society had issues, civilization. I mean, you talk about the revolution. I keep going back to the Protestant Reformation mm-hmm. and everything that yes. happened then, you know, yeah. and with you know, and the Reformed theology and all of that. And, you know, you can go back to the, 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 the disciples and the apostles and the messes they made of things, right? I mean, uh, or all the way to Adam, right? Let's go all the way back yeah. there. And it's like, okay, to me being Christ means that I accept that I have all these things that are wrong with me and that at some level they are not my fault. There were things that were taught to me that I know what I inherited. But because I am in Christ, I have the privilege and the responsibility to redeem all of that sin. Yep. And uh, even, whether or not yes. I was, you know, even though I have my family and ancestors here, like, look, I have benefited. Like, for whatever mistakes and horrible things they made, the reformers gave me so much. The founding fathers gave me so much, right? The people who built California, who built and this, they gave mm-hmm. me much. And the thing about, for me, about turning my heart to the Father. And fathers turn the hearts of their sons. It's like, look, their responsibility was to represent God and enable their children to flourish. That was their divine mandate, all the way up and down back to Adam, right? And they did that in part, and they failed in part. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my uh, frustrations as a radical centrist is that the left only talks about what their fathers did wrong. It ignores everything they did right. And the yeah. right only talks about what their fathers did right. It ignores everything they did wrong. And it's like, yeah. look, they're human. They're fallen like me. The only way I am superior to them is I have their example to learn from. And that for me is what it means for the children to turn their hearts to the fathers and to become a father who can turn my hearts to my own children and my sphere of influence. So sorry I had to get that off my chest. Thanks for listening. No, no, no. Uh, uh, reactions, any thoughts on where to go? Nicole, you were going to say something? Uh, no, no, thank you for sharing that because it, it, it's bringing it, it's getting us a step closer to what, what needs to happen, right? I mean, because right now the dialogue is, as you split it, left and right, and never the two, two will mix. We have to get people to the center so they can own all of the history, both the good and the bad, because I have to tell you, if I not looking at the bad and comprehending its impact on me would have kept me segregated Sunday mornings. It would not have given me the strength and the wisdom to move out and become center or at least move into the right, the Christian right, and start having dialogues and trying to build relationships with people. Use the the past, both negative and positive, to spur you into righteousness, not away from it, I guess is my point. And no great revival ever happened without repentance. And you got to name the beast you need to repent from, right? Back to Hezekiah, you know, people are reading the, word, reading the word of God, see how far the nation has gotten away from it, and then decided to bring everything back into focus and back into right relationship with God, renewal, renewal that way, restoration that way. And I am, a, I, I, I am convinced that if the church can't do it, the nation won't be. 
Anyone else want to chime in? Yeah, you know, well, first off, I just want to say I mean, I, to to Bill and to Aaron, I, I appreciate you being uh, here um, and just just willing to have, you know, that that conversation. Um, I think I, I, two things that that both of you that you said that I kind of want to hit on. You know, the first thing was you know this idea of a segregated hour on Sunday, and you know, I mean, that's again. I, most of what I say will come from a Southern perspective. Um, and, and I see that, right? And, and, you know, and as a minister, I have tried, you know, on many occasions to bring um, here in Tennessee, here in Memphis, to bring um, churches together of different faiths, uh, different denominations, different colors, races, and here's here's what and and Aaron, what you said about you know kind of the stereotypical you know services is true, but here's also what's true. As 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 a black man, as as, as a black child, uh, I am pretty much conditioned to see white people as authority figures, right? Um, as a as in school, white people are my teachers, you know, and and I've had some phenomenal teachers. I'm not I'm not using the term white people in a derogatory way. I'm, I, you know, one of my probably the teacher that had the most impact on me was a was a was a 40 year old white lady named Martha Grubbs who said, "No, I'm not going to let you give up," and and it, it developed a love of math for me that's still there. But you know. Growing up, you know, you're conditioned to see white people as authority figures, teachers, police officers, judges, uh, entrepreneurs, store owners, right? Like, like, and so it's very easy for a black person to assimilate into a white church. And that's another discussion because some black people assimilate into white churches to uh, disassociate themselves from other black people in terms of it's almost kind of a, uh, an, an internal I don't know, have you tried of, it? Of, of, of <laughs> have you people. tried it? <laughs> I have, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. I, w- I would uh, not say it's that easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 well, that's probably another discussion, yeah. Nicole, because yes, gotcha. my, my wife and I did that. Uh, but but to get back to what I'm saying, is it, it, it's 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 somewhat easy for 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 a black person to assimilate just just to to kind of know that okay yeah hey there's going to be a white pastor here that's probably going to be a white leadership team or praise and worship team or whatever but for a white person that's very difficult because white people in the south particularly are not conditioned to see black people as authority figures they don't see black people uh as the principal or as the teacher they don't see black people run the businesses they shop at so the idea of submitting to black leadership in the church is almost an impossible thing to come to grasp with. And what I'm saying is that is in part the reason why Sunday segregated, because it's it, it's very difficult for many of my white brothers and sisters to, 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 to know that I could be the senior pastor or that I could be on the leadership team making decisions. It, 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 That's it, also it's not true in the white church as well. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So if if you're going to be an African American who's a bench sitter, you're okay. But if you're actually going to have want to have impact in your church, it's a whole nother story. That's a problem. 
That's a problem, yeah. right? That's a problem. And mm -hmm. so I'm saying that's that's some of the reason why the church is segregated, right? That's that, that's that's some of the reason why. It's not, it's not all. I mean, there's so many more things we could talk about. But I wanted yeah. to lift that up, though, and 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 I wanted to make some uh, white persons who may be listening to this. I wanted to make them aware of it that like you won't say you have a problem with it, but it but it comes across in actions. It comes across in tones of voices. It comes across in questioning decisions that maybe you would not question if it was an all-white panel that, or that made the decision. Or constantly passing over the person who's serving and is there and is present for right, opportunities right. of leadership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and Bill, right. one, so one general that, rule that yeah. no, people ahead. are more comfortable, yeah, people tend to be more comfortable and subconsciously prefer people who look like them or they identify with at a deeper level. Right. Sure, absolutely. But but but, but, but what I'm saying, yeah. yeah but, but 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 what I'm saying is is, is that is that there there is a there is definitely if, if if you ask a black person to go to a white church, depending on some 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 factors, you know, maybe education level, maybe uh, acquaintance with white people in, in general, it, the, the, I think you could see black people more often than not than white people say okay i could i, could, I because of because of this again the way i've been conditioned you know my college profession was that way uh you know the people that i it's it's but also, easier we're for a black to person to, to, we we're used to having to have to assimilate into the greater culture right right right, right? right. there isn't yeah. there isn't a need for whites to go to the black community to go to a black church unless it's an intentional act of of unity Absolutely. and building relationships there there's no Absolutely. need for them right. to actually do it. Right. right. And, so, not, and, not, and I think part of that is true of all authorities, yeah. yeah. but I think what I'm hearing is there's also an yeah. extra dimension with the black community because of various cultural and historical factors. Sure. Right. Yep. Now, the second yep. thing that I wanted to, 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 to pull out was what, what, you know, what Bill said was, you know, we're in a time now where people don't even have a need to wear hoods anymore, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, that, 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 that's, uh, sad and, and, and evokes a whole bunch of emotions from me. But 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 in the wake of that, I've heard a lot of my white brothers and sisters say, I can't believe this is happening in 2017. This is not, this, this, this is not America. This, this is not the America that, that I know. And I'm saying as a black man, no, no, no. This is the America that I that I'm well acquainted with. This, <laughs> listen, yeah. please hear yeah. me. Yeah, this is a surprise. You know what I'm saying? So like, don't be, like, yeah. I understand that, that you may be shocked that this exists, but as a black man, I'm telling you that I am well aware, and it does not shock me that this has happened. And and and, and please don't 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 invalidate my experience by because you have not experienced that. Yeah. The um. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 what, 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 what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah what, what I'm saying is that it is not shocking to me when I look at other systems, not just outside of religion. When I look at education, when I look at health care, when I look at housing, like, like I'm, I see, I see these people Valley. every day. <laughs> I, see these, I, I see these people every day. I see this structure rears ugly head every day. Yeah. And I think the, the inability to look it in the eyes and say, okay, this is a thing, it's, 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 it's in part keeping us from moving forward. Bill, I'm sure you have some thoughts about power structures on Sunday morning. Yeah, well, I was going to mention um, 
not just church that is very segregated. Our, our kids are in a high school where they segregate by race as well. It's you know 2017. It's pretty sad to see. Um, the other thing is I think there's also true history. Um, the hey, Bill, 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 can, 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 can I stop you yeah. right there real quick? That, that, that's that's yeah. very interesting. So I have two boys. My my my, my youngest son is four. When I drop him off at daycare right now, he doesn't self-segregate. He'll go to whatever the open table is or whatever the most interesting thing is happening that day. It may be somebody, the coloring table is like the lit place to be, so I'm going to go to the coloring table. It's not until middle school, high school, where that happens. So if that's happening, somebody is reinforcing that. Someone, somebody's introducing and teaching that and, and, and making it be the norm. Yeah, for sure. The other, the other thing that was interesting was uh, there was the comment that it's the, uh, the alien closest to you. I think that mm -hmm. I see that a lot. Um, I've been to Taiwan, and before I went to Taiwan, I had no idea that there's this extreme hatred between uh, two variations of Chinese. And I mean, their parliament smashes chairs, their, their senate smashes chairs, and you know, fistfights. And we don't, we're not quite at that extreme here in the U.S. At least no senate, but. And so I, I think that that to me it goes back to the economic considerations, right? That you know he's going to get my job, and you know, yeah. So I, I think, like you said, they're, they're not aware of, of the Wall Street um, person, who's probably a much bigger factor. But there's there's this notion of you know, you know I'm, I'm competing with them. And the third thing is back back to this notion of scapegoating. So for some reason, you know, certain races um, do get tagged as the reason for all evil. In California, so I grew up in Detroit, had that experience when I came out here, it's like very different how people are related to uh, Afro-Americans. But here, for the first time, it's like, wow, it's, it's all because of these, these, these Mexicans, these illegals, right? Yeah. So there's sort of the group here that also gets the scapegoating. And it tends to be the, the weaker group that is scapegoated, right? It's not going to be the New York... Uh, Wall Street bankers are scapegoated to that extreme because, I mean, it's if, if you have power, you can kind of easily get past that. So I think there is that historical, let's go after the weaker people and they'll be our blame for all the ills in our society. So, I mean, there, there's anger, right? These people are marching not just because they like hating, but they, they feel there's a lot wrong in society. And this is the group that should be blamed. We saw that in Nazi Germany. This is the group that should be blamed. So that scapegoat, scapegoating uh, is a very powerful mechanism, which, you know, Rene Girard says, right, he who is without sin casts the first stone. It's, you know, you're, you're just thinking this, this person here, this adulterer or whatever, is, is the source of all evil in your society. And you know, Jesus sort of came to shatter that, that, that um, really bad psychology of just oversimplifying that, oh, it's Osama bin Laden is, you know, the one person that caused all the evil in the world, right? It's just, not that simple. Yeah, I mean, and that cuts both ways, right? I mean, that's what I am worried about, the current rhetoric. You know, it, it's easy to look at these people who are doing really horrible things and say, well, obviously they're the source of the problem. If we could just get rid of them, then we could. But that's not a solution either. In fact, I think nope. that just feeds and it aggravates it. And to me, that's actually, I think, why we have this in 2017 is and mm -hmm. you know, I'm always an optimist. It's like whenever things break, I'm always excited because it means it's a new chance to fix things Amen. that have been subtly broken before, right? Yes. And uh, I can look at that and say, well, you know, 
Some of those people were just pure evil. They just wanted to cause hatred and violence and destruction. Some of those people thought they were doing a noble thing, and they were just wrong, but not evil. You know, mm-hmm. they, they put themselves at risk for what they believe in. And I can respect that, even when I think it's really horribly misguided. And it's like, I want to redeem that. And I think the, the, here's the thing that I've seen that's been the most encouraging thing that I have seen uh, in all the crises and, and humiliations and failures I've gone through the last couple of years. My church, like most churches, has been praying for revival, you know, off and on for years. And one of the big things that came up you know, a while ago sometimes the other racial reconciliation thing, was this idea of identificational repentance. Let's yep. repent on behalf of what our group did. And, like, you know, there was something noble in that, but, you know, we did a lot of that, and, like, nothing really changed. We don't do it and right. It like, we think just confession. Well, yeah. Identificational repentance is actually only confession. It's not repenting. Repenting is when you go and make what's broken whole again. That's the right. intentionally and, and, reaching out. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Sorry. And, and, you know, and here's the amazing thing I've seen happen in our church, which is why I feel like revival is on the, is just around the corner, is that the people would say, oh, like, we've got all these sins. We want to pray for the people. Those people have started saying, God, search me. What is my sin? I repent of this specific thing that I am doing that is part of preventing your kingdom from growing, whether it's – and I heard that we had this most amazing prayer time last week where we said, like, there's a still spirit of judgment in our church. Like, and for mm. a church to admit that, I mean, that, I mean, like, if you take away judgment Huge. from church, half the preachers will lose their sermons, right? I mean, even those people who speak out against, you know, the evils of Charlottesville, there's a spirit of judgment and condemnation there, which I'm mm-hmm. not sure is doing more good than harm. And, like, and what they said was, like, as we wrestle, because what is the opposite of judgment? And, we, and like, someone finally said, you know and we were praying for like, the opposite of judgment is compassion. It's like, look, all these people are sheep without a shepherd. You know, they, mm-hmm. they have not seen Jesus. They have not heard the true gospel. And like, God, what is wrong with me that people are not seeing the true gospel? Mm-hmm. Whether it's how I treat my wife, how I treat my boss, how I treat people different than me, how I think about whites, how I think about blacks. It's like, God, do to me whatever you've got to do to cleanse me so that people can see Jesus in me. And, and here's one trick I've learned that I can get away with, is that when I point out people's sin or I say that we have a sin here, you know, it sets up all sorts of defense mechanisms, right? But if we're in a context where we say, well, of course we need to confess our sins, I just start confessing stuff. And then people can decide for themselves whether they're guilty of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it pushes people's, you know, envelope sometimes and makes people a bit uncomfortable. But this sort of, like, you know, when we confess our sin and say, look, when I look at these people, I see myself. And this is the things that they do that I do myself. And I mean, often I do it to them, right? That's the most favorite tactic of all. Like, I'm going to distance myself and push those people away and call them alien other and blame them for all the problems. It's like, no, that's what they are doing to other people. I don't want to do that to them. I'm going to do the, I don't know if you guys remember Captain and Tennille. Like, mm-hmm. he drew a circle and shut me out. I drew a circle and pulled him in. It's mm-hmm. like, I accept that these people are Christians. I accept that they know Jesus. And I accept that they are my brothers and sisters. And dear God... You know, I need them and they need me, and I am not going to pull myself away from them. 
and I'm just going to say, look, mm-hmm. we've got an issue. It's not that they have an issue. We've got an issue. Yep. And if we repent, and if I repent and do my thing, I've seen this happen, you know, um, with all the crazy stuff that's happened to me, is that things that, uh, like, I saw abuse of power by leadership, and I tried to call it out, and I got shut down. Mm-hmm. And God basically told me to go and apologize, because the way I called it out was not healthy. But it's like, but, 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 mm-hmm. God said, do it. And I did it, mm-hmm. and we had this wonderful conversation, and I left saying, he thinks it's all my fault, he has nothing to repent of. And God basically said to me, do you not trust me to discipline my own children? Mm-hmm. And I have seen God, and like uh, uh, six months later, I sat down with him, and God said, when he, the situation he pulled into, I fell on the floor laughing. Because the God's punishment and redemption of that man was far more brutal and far more just than anything I could have dreamed up. And it's like, do we really believe that if we repent and call down God's justice, and allow him to cleanse us, that he won't judge those who are doing wrong and redeem those who are capable of being redeemed. I know, Dr. Ernie, but but sometimes the timetable is the killer, right? (laughs) How long Ah. is it? Sometimes it's multiple generations. That's what we're talking about here. Sometimes you've been waiting through generations. And I just remember being arrested by a scene from from Selma. I imagine it probably happened pretty much like this when he, when Martin Luther King was talking to Johnson about who wanted to not put the Civil Rights Act on the agenda because there's too much happening in the country. And his arguments convinced me. But I saw Martin Luther King decide, no, we can't wait because it's never going to happen if we don't. Now is the time. I watched him push through. And I just feel like we're in a moment right now in history where this is a push-through moment. It's not a wait well, and see. Agree. It's a push-through moment. Yeah. Right, but, but, but what does that push-through look like that, to make it productive? Right. Exactly. But here's the thing that I, here's the lesson I learned. Uh, Bill, you're an ultra marathoner, right? You do one of these endurance sports like Justin. Am I remembering you correctly, Bill? Anyway, what I learned as a marathoner, uh, Bill, Bill may have dropped off is that the faster you go, the more it hurts. And the more yep. p- pain you're willing to take, the faster you get stuff done. And the thing that impressed me yep. about Martin Luther King, I didn't know this until I watched a video at Apple one day, was that he trained people how to take abuse. Yes. How to sit at a counter, and, like, white people would practice abusing him. Yeah. I can't imagine how horrifying it was for them, much less the black guy. But, like, okay, we are willing to put in the pain and the suffering necessary to make this happen now. Yep. And that's what God always tells me. Like, if, you, if, you, if you're willing to pay the price, it can happen faster. And I, and I think that we're at a place now, because of all the work that's been done before us, that we say, God, we are willing to pay any price. You know, and I've prayed some high ones, you know, just with my little privileged life here. Um, and I you can and know, I and both, that has caused, Yeah. And I can't even imagine what you guys are playing. But say, look, if we sit together and say, if we can bind together and say, look, we want to see, you know, this happen. Lord, bless me with as much as I can handle so this happens as fast as you can make it happen. And I think if we bind together and submit ourselves to God and cry out for his holiness um, and for his judgment on us to cleanse us, to mm-hmm. make us the church, the body of Christ we need to be, then, you know, if judgment starts with the house of God, what's it going to mean for the world? 
Yes. So I, I like that, Dr. Ernie, and I, I like what you, you, you know, I like that Dr. King analogy. Uh, you know, that, you know, dealing with that pain, dealing with that, the, doing the hard work. I think that's where we've got to move to. We've got to move beyond the surface level conversation um, and, and start doing the work. And so I really, my question to the two of you all would be, you know, if we had to create some type of, you know, movement, some type of covenant, some type of manifesto or whatever that, that contained those steps, what do you think that will look like? I think that's going to be a great topic for our next call. Yep. Gotcha. It's 5.30. I've got some ideas, and, uh, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I think we yeah, can do I, 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 I definitely have some also. Yeah, so let's continue the discussion on sleep, and maybe in a week or two we'll do a follow-up call. Uh, so, could you pray and send us out? Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Father, I thank you for uh, this time that we've been able to share. Uh, God, I pray that you would just keep our hearts, uh, our minds open, uh, and pure, God, let us not go into a divisive place, God. I pray that you would use these conversations uh, to help lay down some path that we might take um, so that we could finally move forward. Um, God, I thank you for those who were on the call today. I thank you for everything that they shared, God. Um, we thank you, and we pray you continue to bless these conversations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Anyway, the, the time is fast. You know, I'm I'm I got my calendar. September eighth, twenty seventeen, is when revival is going to break out in Silicon Valley. Oh, so, I like. There are so Amen. many things. You know, we, are, you know, we our church is in a period of three weeks of fasting and prayer for some things, and there's other things happening. They're all compiling on that date. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know who's going to believe it, but I'm seeing it, and okay. I am I am signed up. So. Let's talk about on sleep. God bless you. Thank you for your time. And um, I think we are bound together on this one. You know, uh, you know, we are going to see this through together. We'll formalize this more via sleep until our next meeting. All right. All right. God bless you. All right. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for getting together. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud.